Our guest today is John Julius Schwabach, who is a London-based screenwriter. He graduated from Warwick University with an English literature degree and studied history, English, and art at Winchester College. Now, his first short film is The After, made for Netflix, premiered at the Oscar-qualifying Holly Shorts Film Festival to rave reviews. The short film went on to win the festival's Best Live Action Award and is now Oscar-nominated. The After is a gut-wrenching story about a man who grieves and who can't seem to get over a tragic event that happened in his life. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome screenwriter John Julius Schwalbach and the Oscar-nominated short film, The After, to the show. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, how long have you been a writer? Oh, um, it's hard to tell. Uh, professionally, uh, this has my, been my first big professional job, so about four years now in the making. I started when I was 18. Uh, but unprofessionally, I worked and I did script doctoring and I did amateur script projects for the past, uh, before that, maybe two or three years. So overall, about seven years in writing. So uh, when you became a writer, did you have the goal of working in the film industry? And strangely enough, the first time I wanted to, wanted to become a writer, it was instead for stage. Uh, there was this competition, uh, 16, where we had been tasked to write like a 30-page like script or 30-page play. And I went out and against the better wishes of my parents, took time after time out of lesson, lesson, foregoing homeworks and assignments. And I finished a 60-page document, uh, which was nothing like a stage play. There was director, notes in it, zooms in, close-ups, all of this jabango, which I had no idea was script. I just, that was how my mind worked. And while I was disappointed by the results I had from the stage, stage theater tutor, I was not disappointed in realizing that maybe this is the path I should do. Ah, well, where did you get the idea for the after? So the director came to me with a story idea which was a white uh, businessman loses his wife and daughter to rabbinic stabbings, and he becomes an Uber driver to do with his grief. And in that grief, uh, he comes across a girl who looks like his daughter, and they hug and they resolve each other. So they, they, he came to me with that story idea, oh, way back, maybe four or three years ago, uh, when I was just beginning university in COVID. So it came out a very penultimate time of the year grieving for my generation, you know, because of COVID, I never had a prom or never sort of had like a graduation day. Mine was over PowerPoint presentation, which was very surprising enough, underwhelming. Um, and uh, it, it, that story spoke to me, that idea spoke to me uh, and I wanted to make it bigger. I wanted to make it more about how I felt and how my year felt, how we've been treated how it'd been treated unfairly, just that, that as now Dio felt treat, uh, cheated out of his family and the exploration of grief because of it. So uh, Miss Ann Harriman came to you with this idea uh, for you to write this? He came to my mum first for the idea. My mum's a screenwriter. Uh, and uh, because Miss Ann Harriman was a first-time director, my mum basically said that, why doesn't JJ have a try? And I gave him some of my scripts and we had some couple of meetings and things moved forward where I was just basically sent off. 
Wow. Now, did you write this before there was a Netflix deal in place or did Nissan already have a deal with Netflix to uh, bring forth the story? So initially what I knew was that Neon Films were on board through Neki Bentham uh, and Netflix was Netflix was in sort of talk. But the only time I knew Netflix was fully on board was after they read my treatment. Wow. Uh, what did that what did that actually feel like to have Netflix interested in your script? It was um, it was very surreal. I remember the moment um, I was at a house party. I'd sent the treatment in and I was a house party and I get this call from my mum thinking, OK, great new step. I had to step outside and it was just a very simple like Netflix is in. They like the treatment. We're moving to like contract work. And I'm like, my God, you know, it's it just it was just it felt so visceral and surreal and exciting and it, and also scary. I you know this was the this is the first time like I still I, I still have imposter syndrome now, but even at that stage, I was like, oh, God, you know, am I, am I really, I mean, do I really deserve this? Uh, but I have to continue moving. Well, I was thinking, why was Netflix interested in producing a short film? I think um, they did a short film, I can't quite remember the name before, which was about a black man who had a Groundhog Day experience. And that went to good acclaim before. I also feel like at that point, I didn't know that uh, Netflix was doing Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar and the other Wes Anderson shorts. And uh, Disney was doing The Good Shepherd and Ricky Gervais were doing other shorts. I didn't know it was such a big thing that year. So that's probably why. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, this year or it may have been last year where a lot of the studios have been allowed to submit short mm. short films, which is why now when we look at the five nominees for an Oscar this year, I believe three, no, no, two, two out of the five are studio films, both of them Netflix, mm -hmm. and the other three are independents. Mm. So how did you come to work with Nikki, uh, Nikki Bentham at Neon Films? Um, I've had the pleasure of interviewing her about the after uh, because a lot of her story has to do with of basically finding uh, Miss on Harriman who was who is a world-renowned photographer and now this is the first film he's directed now it's Oscar nominated I was very lucky that I came to a point where both Nissan and Nikki were on board um, and I'm sure Nikki told you this, but uh, the first meeting I had with them was when Nikki was there and we were talking, Miss Anne was basically pitching this idea and talking about uh, sort of the story idea and where things are going. And to me, like that was the first sign that I knew that I, there was something good about this team because it was in a sense that I felt like not a final piece of the puzzle, but every like we, I felt we instantly connected there. Well, you, all right, you said that Misson had this idea and mm -hmm. that it was a white businessman. When did mm -hmm. it change to a black family? So initially I had started writing, writing in the character of Donald. Uh, but then I thought that, especially the climate, and especially what they're looking at, it would make more sense that it would be a Nigerian man. Because Misson and I are Nigerian as well, so it's talking from experience. Um, so 
I thought of Nigerian man and we came up with suggestions. Uh, we land, uh, landed on Dio uh, and then we went, rolled with it. Well, it, it worked very, very well. Now, from, from your point of view of writing the script for this and then Miss On is directing this whole film, what, <clears throat> what did you think of the finished product at the end? I think it's amazing. I'm very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm ex honestly, I'm just, I'm just extremely grateful. Um, and I think it shows, you know, that, that Miss San is not a director who sort of just takes the script and rolls with it. He, he was with me verbally and so is Nikki every single day. So it feels like a, a project where my script is understood, uh, and expounded on it. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Well, wow, now were you were you on set when it was being filmed? Um, I was only on set for a day, but I had great chats with Miss Anne and great chats with Nikki about the direction where what Miss Anne was going to shoot and uh, how um, respectful they were. Was there any script changes uh, when they started filming? Oh, the occasional script changes, actors improvising, all of this stuff. But you know, how can I complain? They kept the core ideals the same, the scenes the same. It was perfect. Well, what did you think of David uh, Oye Lowo's performance? Brilliant. Like, um, he was the star power. Uh, let's be honest, it's, it's fantastic. But it's, he came on and he took the script to a new level in acting, you know, as all great actors do. The, the dedication, like, I think Miss San, I went to a screening in L.A., uh, a couple days ago, and Miss Sam was talking, and I think he put it perfectly where he said that David can reach those bottomless depths that we don't deserve an actor like David. You know, it's unfair how much he's giving for this performance. And it, that, that sort of describes how I feel about him as well. Yeah, you know, uh, David brought this character, like you said, to a whole new level. And, mm. and I've seen... So many actors this season in so many short films. And David's performance is one of the very, very few that truly stand out. I mean, if you were, I mean, if the Academy even had a category of nominating best actor or best actress in a short film, David would have mm. been nominated. 100%. I mean, yeah, without without a doubt. Well, what um, are you amazed at the response uh, the audience is having to the after? Honestly, it's strange. Um, when it first got made, uh, when it got first used, it was it sort of went silent. I don't think we got into uh, Telluride, and then Tiff came along, and we didn't get into that. But then the first inkling of hope, I guess was that we heard that Oprah watched it and loved it. And we were like, okay, we might have something. Uh, then we, we did some small screenings at the Soho House, and a lot of people were talking about how impactful the story and the narrative was. And a lot of people, I remember people coming up to me and saying how they're like, they're one of their loved ones dies in the car crash and how this was realistic. Even people talking about men's health and how difficult, how like, realistic it is that people fall through the cracks and to me that felt that we were connecting with people 
at a deeper level. And that was like a really good sign. And then Holy, Holy Shorts came around and that sort of blew my mind when it won and coming back to pick up the award. And it, it, it really like looking at all the other shorts in the category, I was amazed at the bar and how the after pushed through. It was fantastic. Yeah, Holly Shorts is a very, very big deal. I can't wait to see what films are going to be coming out of that uh, this for this year. So uh, <clears throat> I'm expecting even bigger films to, to be birthed from Holly and, and the rest of the film festivals across the country. Uh, well, across the globe, actually. But I want to ask you about the way that you wrote this story. Mm -hmm. When it came to the scene where um, the uh, the attacker comes in, mm. um, what was your mindset in writing that scene? My mindset was in Dio. I wanted to, and in a in a cynical way. I wanted to suck as much uh, emotion out of the audience. So for example, how we introduced the Amy and Jessica, that Jessica's a photographer and Amy loves uh, ballet, giving these people these lives just to take them away. I had this in mind sentencing. Interestingly enough, the bicyclist, which rides past, which promotes Dyer to, you know, think about, you know, actually uh, she, he should go to this ballet is actually the mass killer in the script. I figured that out. I actually had to mm -hmm. rewind it a few times mm -hmm. and really slow that down because that the scene where the, the, the bicyclist passes in front of them is very quick, but you see the look on Deo's face. Because, um, you know, the, his first thought was, I need, you know, I needed to grab and protect my daughter. Mm -hmm. So he knew that he was right there in her presence to protect her. Mm. And then he, you know, he has, like you said, he has the look on his face. He has this thought. And then, the then the scene, the next scene changes so fast, but the way you wrote it, you literally took everything from Deo's life that mm. that the the true the the thing that really really mattered because he's a businessman he's on the phone talking business you know and like I was telling Nikki and Misson we're all guilty of taking for granted those that are close to us mm. we become preoccupied because we don't think you know, we don't actually go. think, we don't think we're going to lose them. But mm -hmm. then you create this scene and you literally rip that part of his life as if it was a page in a book. You rip it out and you basically set it on fire and throw it away. And he has nothing. And the thing that truly matters to him is gone in a flash. Hmm. So the, uh, it, it made the scene very powerful. But I also wanted to because and, and because of, of, of attacks that we've seen in mm -hmm. the UK. And a lot of the attacks in the UK have been knife oriented. Is that why you made this assailant use a knife? It was always going to be used a knife because it was not only based on 
Mr. Amin's idea, but the context behind it was about the Westminster London Bridge attacks, uh, where they used a knife to attack these people. Uh, so the knife was always there. It was never going to be a gun or any other weapon. We always wanted to make it topical to feel authentic because it's interesting, like the, with the shelf life of movies, when we were writing it, it was uh, at the height of COVID. So the, the attacks were still fresh in our mind. Looking back now, as you've asked this question, it seems strange, but that's the reason. Now you had the mother. Mm. Um, even, well, here, here's the thing about that whole scene. The mm. assailant is shocking. Mm. What he does to the daughter is very shocking. Mm -hmm. Then you continue to ride that traumatic experience to the mother. And then what she does next. Um, and I talked to Misson about this. Not that it was unthinkable, but it's the gut reaction. It should be the gut reaction of any parent. And she did that. Mm. It's, it's when I was writing it initially in the idea that the, the mother was supposed to be pregnant in the scene. And I thought that would be too much. Uh, I was talking about that he thought it'd be too much. That wouldn't make sense because then you would villainize the mother in the same way. But, for me, you put it right, it's that gut reaction because in the scene you see her reaction. You don't see the actual like chart, body of the child, but you see the guttural scream. And I also wanted to get a sense that things are moving fastly now. Dio doesn't have time to contemplate an emotion develop and try and stop. It always happens immediately, which happens normally, like life just goes and you're always left in the wake of it. You have no control. Um, so for me, that like moment, it's not only a moment of grief and gut, uh, gut pain, but of clarity of how she feels and what she has to do. Well, what was it like for you to write the emotional scenes after the incident with his wife and daughter? Because, and this is what I love about actors, when they're in a situation where they're by themselves, they have no other actor to feed off of. Mm -hmm. They have to be in the moment by themselves. And like David did, and like me son mentioned, he dug deep to places where we wouldn't even go. Mm -hmm. And he did that in his performance. But for you as a screenwriter, what was it like writing those emotional scenes? Like like him being parked uh, at the top of the uh, the parking garage and looking at a photograph? I think with those scenes, I wanted to get this. It's, I wanted to tr try and get across the inability to process grief. That in a weird way when, you know, I've had, I've had relatives who died and especially during COVID, I, I wasn't able to see that go to their funeral because of COVID restrictions. And instead of talking to people, I just continued doing essays. I didn't give myself time to grieve. 
And with this, him sitting in the car, him listening to music, and uh, listening to voice notes from his family, looking, looking at photos, these are little snippets where there are chances of him to fully process the grief, but then he has to be an Uber driver. And it's that conflict I want to show. Um, and that follows through in his relationship with the little vignettes in the car, how the first one talks about how he felt with his daughter and how he'll never get that, get back, get that back again. Um, the second one about like, uh, the Uber where they think their dad is going to die reminds them of how he could have saved his own family if he hadn't picked up that call. And the third one about the old parents is that he's always going to suffer this grief and deal with it and always like remember his family. There's no, um, there's no cathartic forgiveness. You're not going to just stop feeling the pain. Um, and those all tying together build up to the big moment where he finally sees the, the little girl who's exactly like him, silent, sitting in the back of Uber, who finally notices him for the first time, instead of him just noticing the rest of the family and her re reaching out and pulling him out from the cage he's made in the Uber car for allowing him to fully process his grief. John, I am extremely impressed. Thank you. Be because even though this is a short film, you took the time as you were writing it that every passenger that Deo had in his car, there was a meaning behind those passengers. It's not like you created a couple of characters that rode in the back seat, they got to their destination and they left. You actually thought this out. Mm -hmm. One step at a time. And I think that's why this film is so powerful. And I was telling both Nikki and Misson, one of my favorite parts of this film is, you know, of course, when he gets out of the, the car. Mm. And the little girl has the two parents. But it's it's the opposite of what Dale had in a way because her parents aren't paying attention to her. They're mm. they're kind of having this um, light argument, Split. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And here she is not feeling that she's being seen or heard. Her focus is now during the ride is on Dale, like you said. But then she's the key that unlocks the door to his cage. Yeah, it, it, she literally brings them out of the car. Um, and what I really like is that the moment when he gets back in the car also makes it not a happy ending. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a fairy tale where initially in earlier scripts I had him walking away from the car, but um, it sort of says that people go through this. You know, they have that moment and they will slowly get better. As Miss San said, that we're not showing the light at the door at the end of the tunnel. We're just saying there is a tunnel. I actually thought the ending was positive. Um, mm. Because I, as I explained to both of them, what I loved about the ending scene when he got back into the car, because when he looked up, he's, lo he's looking out, you know, the, the windows roll down. But then he looks up 
And right at that moment, a ray of sunshine comes across his face. And for me, when I saw that, I was like, ah, his healing process is now starting. That's interesting. I can see that. And it was beautiful. And of course, of course, what even made it more beautiful in that moment is when Birdie's song starts to play. Yes. And it brings the whole thing full circle. It's it's one of those like key notes. You 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 don't initially hear at the beginning, but you realize it's always been there, that undertone. Uh no, it's fantastic. Yeah, so um you have a very, very bright future ahead of you. Um to have to to be a screenwriter, to write this script, and then become Oscar nominated. What was what went through your mind when you heard that when the the nominations were being announced? I was I was at the nominations lunch in London, uh, so I was looking at the big screen, and it. It was strange because the director, Miss Ann and Nikki were both at home with their parents, uh, with their family. And uh, I saw like Jack Quaid announced the after and I just, pa- I was paralyzed. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't believe it. I, it, it just, it just felt so insane to me that for me, a, a young writer to write this, it, it was just, it was, um, it was crazy. It was a, I, I, I don't know what other words to put, except like very super, not superficial, but like amazing, fantastic. Uh, it was heartfelt. It, it, it felt in a weird way, like, not that potential was, that potential had been seen, but there was potential there in the beginning with. Uh, it felt gratifying. And I felt that it wasn't just my feeling shared, my passion, but it was a complete passion with Miss Anne and Nikki that we called each other, which I even enjoyed more, called each other afterwards, congratulating each other, seeing what the next steps are, and having that, in not even fear, but tension, that we're on now the path of the Oscars, that it's a whole new world. Um, it's crossing, crossing the threshold, as you probably know. Yeah, because even for you, here you are, a screenwriter of an Oscar-nominated film. It's... And that will always follow you. Always follow me. Now I have to do better. <laughs> well, you well, hey, you know, I know that the bar may seem high, mm-hmm. but you know that's okay. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. like when when I tell people, you know, you know, go after your dreams, and they go, well, I don't know how. I said it's like this: just jump in the deep end, because <sighs> then you're going to learn how to swim. Yeah. So just go I do swim. it. And you've mm. done that. And I was talking with a um, a seven-time Oscar-nominated producer who has won twice. And uh-huh. we got the talking that the Academy needs to broaden the, the live-action short category to include more than two people. Because usually mm. you'll end up with one director one producer, and that's all that's allowed. Well, to me, mm-hmm. it should be the director, the producer, and if there's two producers, have both producers, as well as the screenwriter, because th- mm. those three areas 
should be acknowledged when a nomination for an Oscar is announced and whenever the winner is announced. Those on the team should be able to take that statue home. Hmm. It's it's a strange one. I'm a little bit of an anomaly because <laughs> I'm just the writer. Usually with the with the shorts like last year is the writer and director. So I understand this difficulty, and if it is a problem going through, I am a hundred percent for it. But uh, but that is good to hear. That is good to hear. Well, uh, I, John, I, in all seriousness and honest, um, being honest and genuine and sincere, you are a brilliant writer. Thank you um, so much. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you're not because you are. You have the proof with this film. Um, you took every step, every moment of this film. It means something. There's not an empty space of this story. Mm -hmm. uh, just to hear you explain the passengers, you really, truly thought this out. And uh, it paid off big. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Honestly. So will you be going to the Oscars? Yes. Um, I'm just waiting for tickets now. It's insane. I, 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 I'm, I'm taking my parent, my mom, uh, my dad and my brother, hopefully. Um, but I've only seen, like, from a distance, the red carpet. Uh, and next step is the governor's board as well. So hopefully getting tickets for that and just being with the with the nominees, uh, Mr. and Nikki, and you know Touchwood, of course. Uh, if it wins, going up on stage as well. Ah, oh, well, I know one thing. I can't wait to see who wins this category. I think this category is tougher this year than it was last year. Um, I know that an Irish goodbye won in 2023 and absolutely well-deserved win. Mm -hmm. That was a beautiful film, but you have written a, one of the most powerful short films I think that we have seen in the last few years. So, uh, after the Oscars, what's next for you? So at the moment I have two projects running co-writing features uh one i'm doing with a friend it's a viking western so imagine the vigilantism and outlaw of a western with the duels but replace that with paganism and a much more uh colorful environment and the same type ghost towns and even churches in in scandinavia and then you have the viking western so we're doing a feature for that and then another feature uh which is based off a book by Stacey Corrigan called uh, Jordan Version 3.201. And it's a dystopian, American dystopian eco uh, story about a man who wakes up uh, in, the, in the middle of an island with no name or no memory of what happened before and him trying to find his identity and figure out what's happened to humanity. Wow, that, that sounds like a very powerful uh, project. Mm, both are both are and then on my own i'm writing or finishing writing a short i'm going to direct about reparations in the uk uh 
and then another one about a doppelganger and uh, the main character and how they swap lives. Oh, no, that would be cool. But I am interested in the Viking Western. I, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't wait to see these films that uh, you're writing. And uh, John, many blessings to you uh, in your career and much success at the Oscars and beyond. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for this interview. You're very welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, you've got to check out The After, an Oscar-nominated short film that has people talking, thinking, and pondering the, the true, well, the meaning of life. And everyone needs to see this film. So when you have the opportunity, uh, I believe the film is available on Netflix uh, yes. now. So look up The After and uh, be prepared. Um, all of your senses, well, will be inundated and you will be tested. But it is a powerful film. It's a beautiful film. So you got to check it out on Netflix. And ladies and gentlemen, well, for all of you, you can catch all of the replays of our interviews with top film directors and producers and screenwriters just like John as well as actors and more on our website at bondoncinema.com. We're also available on YouTube and a dozen audio platforms as well. So I want to thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, hey, I'll see you at the movies.